Although, I've seen some scripts I know the words weren't spelled right. There was hardly any commas in it at all. So I don't think that's too important. Hey, you want to get on the train here, or you want to ruin another take, huh? It's too cerebral. We're trying to make a movie here, not a film. Man, I don't drop character till I've done a DVD commentary. You want to eat the writer? Be my guest. That will leave you to explain how else your character is supposed to get to Bremen. Welcome back to another episode of the In the Mouth of Darkness Chatcast. I am your host, Brad Gullickson, the Mouth Dork, and joining me today is Lisa Gullickson, Wife Dork. Hey, Lisa. Hello. How are you? I am so crazy good right now. Yeah, I bet you are. My mind is blown in all kinds of directions. This is a really, really cool episode. It's getting scanners up in here. It's Yeah, it really is, because Lisa and I are the biggest Star Trek Deep Space Nine fans. Absolutely, yes. We were obviously... Trek fans of the original series and the original cast movies. But early on in Lisa and I's dating life, many, many years ago, one of the first shows we watched together as a couple was DS9. And it quickly became my very favorite of all of the Star Treks. I'm different than Brad. I was not raised in a Star Trek household. You had your mom to sci-fi with you. I discovered all Trek in adulthood, which to me makes my opinion of which is the best Trek the very most valid because <laughs> I saw them at there's no nostalgia there for me. Yeah, yeah. And when I what appealed to me so much about Deep Space Nine is, of course, it's serialized. So it's more modern. You get story arcs and things like that. But I also eventually I mean, eventually. it starts out pretty one and done. Um, but it also moved away from the cloying sweetness of next, next generation. generation yeah, because yeah. with next generation, the whole idea is, well, humanity has evolved past any sort of conflict. So everybody has to get along all of the time. And to find conflict, they had to find a lot of bumpy foreheaded aliens to bash on. Exactly. And so Deep Space Nine threw that away more or less immediately. First, we get a lot more races just from the get-go. Diversity, yeah. Right, with Kira and with Odo. But we also have just more complex characters, I feel. Yeah, and it's it's... From the beginning, very much a social science fiction show. You know, Star Trek has always been that, but Next Generation kind of left that a little bit to become more character-driven. And DS9 remained character-driven, but also wanted to talk about terrorism, wanted to talk about religion, wanted to talk about racism. And it does it from the first episode and never stops. And all of that crunchy, rich wonderfulness is due in large part to... DS9's showrunner, Ira Steven Bear, who is, believe it or not, on this episode. Yeah, completely wild. I saw his new film, What We Left Behind, looking back at Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which he co-directed with David Sapone as part of the Fathom event screening a couple weeks back. And it was a jam-packed screening, lots and lots of Trekkies, lots and lots of Niners, very engaged, lots of clapping, 
Everyone loved this experience. And I'm watching the credits, and I notice that the publicity is being handled by Frank PR. And I've had dealings with them in the past. They put on a lot of really cool guests. In fact, last week, they handled the cold blue. And that's ah. why we were able to talk to Eric Nelson. Awesome. So I reached out to them, sent them a cold email, said, I'd love to talk to Ira. I didn't think it was going to happen. But boom. He said yes. He wanted to talk about his movie. Now it's time to get really nervous. You know, when you watch what we left behind, you see uh, a showrunner coming to terms with the reception that the show got back in the day during the 90s because it was seen as the dark Star Trek. It was seen as, you know, the stepbrother to the next generation. And a lot of people who loved TNG were resistant to DS9 and they sent him lots of letters. And it's clear that the trauma of that negative response from a select few really bothered him. And this film is dealing a lot with that initial reaction and how a cult has developed around Deep Space Nine in the 20 years since it went off the air. So here's Ira. Uh, it's, it's a really cool chat. He lives up to his reputation. You know, he's a little bit of a gruff guy, but he's very honest. He does not let us lead the tone of the interview. He he takes charge, and I really respect that about him, and I'm very thankful that, you know, he's truly honest with us. We did our best to fling some some compliments at him, show him some love, <laughs> but apparently he is rubber. But we are we are glue, so all of the love that we threw at him bounced off, but it stuck back to us, and we feel great. Yeah, I, I have more thoughts on this, but I want to come back to it after the conversation. Listeners, you're really going to enjoy this chat. Uh, it, you know, we did it over the phone. It's about 20-some-odd minutes, and yeah, it gets good. It gets good. So tune in, and then meet us back on the other side. <laughs> How are you today? I am doing fine. How are you? Great. So, uh, we are both big-time Niners. We love Deep Space Nine, and we were eagerly anticipating what we leave behind. We were at Star Trek Las Vegas uh, last year when you had your panel there. And I I just want to know, for you, looking back, taking so many years to get this documentary completed— uh, is it a cathartic experience, uh, or is it a, a, a just another grueling task? Like, what 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 did it mean for you to go back and spend so much time discussing and thinking and contemplating DS Nine? Well, the smoke has not totally cleared yet, mm. so I can't. This is just uh, you know, this is my feelings as of you know today. You know, we still have a couple of months before the Blu-ray comes out, and then there'll be this, that, and the other thing that'll still have it in the front of my brain, or at least in my brain. So this is really while the uh, while the path is still being trod. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm not sure you can take any of these as definitive answers. I will say that, you know, I'm not maybe the best judge of whether it was worth it or not. I've been going around telling everyone for the past couple of years that it isn't worth it. <laughs> that, uh, you know, what the hell, this was not something I was looking to do. 
I had no idea what it was going to mean. Um, so it's it's hard, you know. I know, you know, there are certain obvious things that have been uh, that have been sacrificed in order to do this. I mean, just like nuts and bolts things, like you know, getting paid, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> a living wage, and uh, and uh, I've, I've turned down work. Uh, in order to keep doing this and that, you know, did not endear me to my agents. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, on on the life scale, it was a fucking ridiculous thing to do. <laughs> but yet somehow I did it. So I guess I'm the one who's going to just have to be asking myself why <laughs> um, until I have an answer. And uh, that answer is... Uh, is still in development. So at the genesis of this project, did you have a thesis statement in mind? Was this meant to be an endeavor to record straighten, uh, as it will? Or when you first had the idea, what did you think it would be? And then how how did that idea change over the six years? You know, it's funny. I keep getting these kind of questions. And to me... It's all in the documentary. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, the text and the subtext are kind of writ large in the doc. I kind of say everything, or someone says it, and I agree with it. So, you know, I, as I say in the doc, I, I said yes, because I thought this would be an interesting uh, and... Uh, an interesting gesture to the actors. That was my first thought. I would I would interview the actors. It was an hour doc at the time, and it was not going to be a big deal. And I thought I'd get to talk to the actors and discuss this kind of wave that was starting to build through binging and whatever that DS9 seemed not to have been as forgotten as maybe some of us had thought and I thought that would be an interesting thing and it would be kind of like this small little little project and uh, you know we'd reminisce and say hey guess what they're kind of more fans seem to be watching and blah 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 etc 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 and that was it so there was no thesis beyond that so to me the fandom started out as anti-DS9 and people didn't really understand what DS9 was attempting to do with its format and uh, with its tone, its tonal shift from next generation. And I went watching the documentary. I feel like it acts as a validation of everything that you guys did. You now see the audience that was, that has grown in its wake. Well, well, yeah, I mean, almost, there's a couple of things. Number one, all the way back in 2013, I mean, Dave talked to me in 2012 about it. We really got started, I guess, in 2013. And I got a call from Avery, who was very excited about what he was witnessing. I guess he was still going to conventions at the time. He was, of course, I saw him in England, I think, um, that year. Um, or maybe it was 2014, who the fuck knows. But, <laughs> but it was, you know, he was just really excited.
excited, especially for Avery, who doesn't get excited in this way a lot, you know, about the young fans and, you know, the people who are fans of the show who weren't alive when the show was on the air. And I, I, was, I was figuring it out pretty quickly that the initial thesis was, you know, a little bit invalid because, you know, there was really not a lot of need to talk about, you know, the show is modern and the show is serialized and the show is dark and the show represents TV in a way as it's done now because it was already happening, you know, it was already happening. It was starting to state the obvious. Um, so that was, um, that was another thing that, that mm. you know, look, everyone told me on this, in the documentary team that, you know, we would find what the doc is about and basically I would be the guy to find it. And meanwhile, you know, I was working on Atlander and going to Scotland and this was not the front part of my brain uh, for, for a number of years. It was fun doing the interviews, but, you know, it was always an hour doc until 2017, I think. And that's when I started to realize you got to get serious about this thing. Um, plus, I had just gotten off of uh, producing this indie film called Lucky with Harry Dean Stanton and David Lynch and Jimmy Darren, and, and that had been a really great experience. And I kind of the wave of that kind of carried over into this, and it was like, okay. You know, this is now a feature, and I just got off of a feature, and it's like, it kind of gave a boost to my attention span, let's put it that way. Do you think that with this documentary, and then um, the hypothetical season eight that is in the documentary, do you think that you can kind of shut this door now, or will you always be spinning DS9 in your mind? Um, well, look, the, the door had been shut for 13 years. <laughs> You know, I hadn't gone to a convention from 99 to 2012, so I was fine. I was very content. I, you know, the fact that DS9 was, you know, the, the bastard middle child and unloved, that, that didn't affect me much at all. I, you know, I, I, was, I was pretty happy when the show ended in, in terms of the work we had done, and, you know, even today, I still think with all the stuff in the doc and everything, we're still, you know, we're still not even close to being a mass culture, you know, uh, part of the zeitgeist. We're still a cult buried inside another cult. Uh, you know, we don't move the needle at all which is fine. I mean, it's got nothing to do with the work. The work was the only thing that mattered. The work is the only thing that ever matters. Everything else, you know, that comes after. Same thing with the doc, you know. It's, it's very true. It's like, you know, we made a doc that was about Deep Space Nine and also, frankly, about the making of documentaries, mm -hmm. you know, which is another thing people don't seem to get. I mean, this is a very meta documentary mm -hmm. at times. I mean, the whole idea is you can't make a fucking documentary because mm -hmm. documentaries aren't about the truth. There is no truth. The only truth is fiction. Every novel is the truth. Doesn't mean it's good to be a piece of crap, but every 
every novel has embedded in it the absolute truth. Like whatever is in that book, that is the truth of that author. That's the truth he found. Mm. Documentary is just memory and points of view and this, that, and the other thing. And even if it's not a documentary about, you know, people, even if it's a documentary about events, I mean, the oldest line is, you know, history is written by the winners. Mm. So what the fuck is truth? Mm. So that's what the, I wanted this, that's where I was starting to have the fun also. It's like, don't believe everything you hear, you know? It's like, why, why are you so involved in and needy in terms of the truth the truth doesn't exist mm-hmm. it's all lies it's the last thing we say in the documentary everything is true especially the lies right 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 and like what a perfect way to That's deliver what this it documentary is about as much as deep space nine mm. yeah and of course you have andy robinson there as garrett to deliver that message it's a perfect perfect button there what's interesting though is with fan culture and especially in Star Trek, you know, Star Trek in some ways wouldn't exist beyond the third season without a letter writing campaign. So there's always been this uh, fascinating relationship between consumer and creator. And, you know, what we leave behind exists because there is an audience out there that is hungry for it. So what is it like to, you know, deliver a message like that where you say, like, I know you guys want this, but also you got to remember that. You know, we're all we're all making up our own stories. Well, I think that part of the the subtext of why I was doing the doc and stayed with it so long was it was also kind of repairing my relationship and feelings towards the fans mm. because when the show ended, in fact, throughout the entire seven year run of the show, I was pretty much you know. Uh, I was disappointed in the fan response mm-hmm. to Deep Space Nine at mm-hmm. the time. I just thought, you know, very conservative, very kind of, they want the same thing. You think sci-fi fans are going to have like this openness and, the, you know, but the shock of the new man, they're just like everyone else, the mm-hmm. shock of the new, they don't want new. They want the same old shit that mm-hmm. makes them feel good. Um, so, it, you know, I, I, I came away with... Uh, with not a lot of uh, warm feelings or any feelings really to the fan. It wasn't like I was actively negative towards them. It was just like they have nothing to do with the show. Mm. Like I told writing staff, you know, uh, in season four or five, whenever it was, I said, look, we're doing the show for ourselves. Forget about the fans, forget about critics, forget about anyone. We're writing the show. We have to like it. We have to see it. We have to understand it. We're the only ones, you know, the people who work on the show are the only ones who have any say in what this this show should be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, now it's, you know, many years later and, uh, you know, I still, I kind of still dig the fact that the fans get all bent out of shape, <laughs> you know, at sure. a moment's notice. I used to say the difference between Outlander fans and DS9 fans is Outlander fans want to bake you cookies and DS9 <laughs> fans want to tell you how much they like the show but what you did wrong. Oh, no. <laughs> what you should have done. Sure. Well, and, yeah. They can't help themselves. Yeah. They can't help themselves. And Star Trek Discovery is experiencing that the right now, thing. too. Well, yeah, 
course. Yeah. Of course, it, it's never ending. It's it's absolutely never ending, which is why, you know, one of the things we we decided to do when we were putting the show together is we pulled out as many of the episode kind of homages as we could cut out because they didn't belong. I don't want to do the, the only reason far beyond the stars and past tense are in there is because it has to do with real world problems and mm-hmm. touching on that stuff. But we cut out trials and tribulations. We cut out, um, rocks and shoals, which was the most difficult show that, that, mm-hmm. you know, we ever filmed, uh, with people passing out in 120 degrees. Mm-hmm. Big fucking deal. Every show has a hard time, <laughs> you know, doing a TV show. It's long hours, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, everyone's, you know, fans, not everyone, but there is a certain fans who go, why didn't they do, why didn't they do this? Why isn't there this episode? Why? Of course, that's not what the fuck the documentary is if you're watching it. Mm-hmm. It's got nothing to do with that, mm-hmm. you know? Yes, there'll be, you know, special features, the stuff that was cut or some of the stuff that was cut. Um, that uh, didn't make the cut will will be there, but and that's okay. But it's not. It wasn't meant to be part of the film because the film was about something else. Part of the focus of the documentary compares what DS Nine was as a continuing process, as a like as a final product. Versus what DS9 could have been if you and your team had more creative freedom to push the boundaries of the 90s, particularly with the LGBT issues, with um, the gender issues. When you're watching Discovery or you're hearing about what's going on on Discovery, do you feel like you were part of that legacy of of broadening the idic, Or do you feel like um, Vindic... Do you feel like... Well, they're just doing what I wanted to do. Like, is there any kind of discomfort there? Well, I think, I, I really don't think in those terms, mm. really. You know, I mean, if, 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 if Star Trek was still doing standalone episodes and was afraid to tackle concepts and ideas and social situations today, then it's, it's an even you know, more of a useless franchise mm-hmm. than it might already be. Mm-hmm. So I, I find there's nothing particularly brave about about doing that. I'm glad they're doing it, don't get me wrong, but it, it doesn't enter my, it's not really something to think about. And in terms of what could we have done, baby, it's amazing we did what we did. Yeah. Everything was a struggle. You know, this could have been, you know, Yes, it's a, yes, obviously, would I have liked to have done, I mean, there was a lot of stuff I would have liked to have done, but, you know, I get it, you know, there's a reality that has to be faced, it was like, I was, I was enough of a pain in the ass (laughs) to to get what, what we had to get, and that's, that's a victory writ large, you know. That I mean, you just have to look at what came after, mm-hmm. which kind of sunk back into the same old, mm-hmm. same old. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, the target was just, we tried to move the target, and mm-hmm. we did move the target. And then the target kind of shifted back. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that's, that's the victory. Could we have done more? I don't think, about, I never have thought about mm-hmm. that. 
Well, Ira, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to chat with us today. And I want to apologize because I should have been writing fan letters back in the day when I was watching it, because I want you to know that I was eating up everything you were doing and I was loving it. And if fandom can learn anything from what we leave behind, there are many things. But hey, if you love something, let people know. Celebrate that. Don't hate. Yeah. Well, you know, people are people. So <laughs> what, 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 what can you do? I mean, look, it's a, it's a TV show, you know? Mm. It's a TV show with a, with a message about the future that is quickly becoming, you know, revealed to be inaccurate, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, well, so, you know, the, you know, it's going to be the USS Apple and the USS, you know, <laughs> Microsoft, you know, yeah. it, it, that's, that's what the future is. Um, yeah, but that's it, baby. So it's, it's not Gene Roddenberry's future, it's Philip K. Dick's future, yeah. it's Ballard's future. No. That's the future, and unless we, we accept that and realize that all the rest of this is just like, you know, a, a soft drug to 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 keep us happy. Um, we're we're uh, we're up shit creek without a paddle. So that's a good place to end it on. Fight the future. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And there you go. Yes. All right. So we ended on a bit of a bummer. Uh, Philip K. Dick. His future is the right future. Gene Roddenberry's got it wrong. It's funny because as somebody who admires and idolizes the Idic and what Star Trek, uh, what Star Trek offers as far as hope for humanity and our future, to talk to Iris Stephen Bear, who who ends that conversation on such a down note because of the current environment that we are living in, it. It it hurts. It's a bummer. I understand and I kind of agree with him, but I don't want my Star Trek authors to think that way. <laughs> but who are we kidding? We were at Star Trek Las Vegas. Sure. We were not going to leave this conversations with our glasses necessarily half full. Right, right. And also, we are fans of Deep Space Nine, and Deep Space Nine is a more realistic Star Trek, you know, it acknowledges the pain and the hurt in the world. And it says that if you want a brighter future, you really have to fight humanity's nature. You know, like you have to you have to fight the future where we ended that conversation. You have to fight the future. I can tell you one thing. If I ever if I ever have the pleasure, the honor of meeting Iris Stephen Bear in person, I'm baking him some cookies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like like we said at the end there, I I was a massive Deep Space Nine fan, and I wish I had been writing letters to the show to let him know how much Cisco and the gang meant to me at the time. Because when you're loving a program, rarely do you reach out and say thank you. It's only when you're filled with rage and you're seething about continuity that you decide to jump on your laptop or whatever and and write your scathing you know, critique of something. But it's also psychology 101. People are going to remember more negative things mm. than they are going to do positive things. Sure, like, sure, sure. For all of the compliments you can give, it's the 
it's the negative things that are really going to yeah, stick. Yeah, that sting. That sting. Yeah. Sure, sure. But anyway. And he's a sensitive artist. We're all artists. We get it. Thank you to Iris Stephen Bear for, you know, coming on this show and talking to us lowly Trekkies. We really appreciated it. It was a dream come true. No joke. Yes. I wish we had more time. I had so many more questions. Yeah. Uh, you know, we'll find him at a convention. We'll trap him. We'll trap him. We'll bring him that cookie sheet, Lisa. That's right. Those Outlander fans, he likes them so much more than us. Yeah. Anyway, this is a tremendous moment in the In the Mouth of Darkness chat cast. We finally have some Star Trek material in our programming. As massive Trekkies, it's really nice to check that box. I hope to have more conversations that deal with the Federation and the Final Frontier in our future. And the Itic, because we, we love it. Yeah, yeah. So next week, we are going to return with a conversation with documentarian Cameron Yates about his film Chef Flynn. Uh, we had that chat in person at the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia. It's a really cool conversation. And Billy and I are going down to New Orleans to attend the Overlook Film Festival. And the hope is that we will capture some really rad filmmaker conversations down there for our near future. So fingers crossed on that front. You're sure to get them. You're dogged. Yeah, yeah, we're dogged. We're determined. Lisa. Yes. Where can our listeners find you online? I am at Sidewalk Siren on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Be sure to follow our other dorks, Billy Das at WB Das on Instagram and Twitter, Darren Smith at the Disco Dork, Brian Young at the Turtle Dork. I, of course, am at Mouth Dork on all social medias. And if you're enjoying this interview content, please jump on over to the regular, original It Modcast feed to listen to our weekly shows. We do a review cast and we do a top five fistful Friday every week. Our last fistful was a fistful of wishes for Aladdin. It's a crazy ep. It is a crazy weird episode. Highly recommend it to our listeners. I got double fisted. Oh, hey. Oh, what? No. Yeah, I made two lists. Oh, okay. Lisa, thanks for joining us this week. Thank you for carrying me along on this interview with Iris Stephen Bear. I really appreciate it. We were just holding hands and gazing lovingly into each other's eyes the whole time. Yeah, that's how couple dorks do it. <laughs> uh, until next time, everybody, take care. Visions are worth fighting for. Why spend your life making someone else's dreams 